This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. So we're already in the last week of February somehow, and if you are listening to this thinking, what just happened over the last seven weeks? I started so strong heading into 2020. I was committed to my workout routine. I was committed to this new diet that I'm trying right now, and here I am, and I feel like I've already dropped the ball in all these areas. I'm already feeling overwhelmed. I already feel a little bit defeated. This isn't how it was supposed to work. Well, this episode is for you. I am so excited to have registered dietitian Allie Eberhardt joining us today. Allie is somebody who works primarily with women who are struggling with disordered eating and her mission in life is to help women ditch diet culture, to take weight stigma and fat phobia out of our dialogue, and to cut the bullshit that is circling around in this whole world of health and wellness by turning to the facts and research. She shares much of this in her podcast that she co-hosts with another woman called Let Us Eat cake. So today, Ali and I are going to be talking about why it is that we find it so hard to stick with our healthy eating habits, what happens when they break. We'll be discussing these common patterns of overeating and binge eating look like and how to prevent ourselves from continuing on this year in that cycle of eating and then restricting and then overeating and then repeating the whole cycle again. So Allie, thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot wait to have this conversation with you. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So can you tell everyone a little bit about your background before we dive into this? Because you are so knowledgeable in this area in regards to health and wellness and dieting and body image. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this field and the women that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so for my career, I'm a registered dietitian, as you mentioned. I went to UBC and I actually did my minor in counseling psychology. And so I knew that as a dietitian, I was going to work in some realm of like relationship building. I actually didn't have a ton of exposure or experience to eating disorders in the diagnostic sense, but certainly have had many different interactions in my life. And as a young woman with people who had varying degrees of disordered relationships with food and even just the normalization of that through like my college years and just, you know, those pressures that sometimes women and men can feel as they're sort of transitioning through different stages in life. But yeah, I did my practicum or my, we call it an internship with Providence Healthcare in Vancouver. And one of the features of St. Paul's Hospital is that it is the provincial center for eating disorders for adults. So part of my elective, I was placed in eating disorders and I ended up falling in love. It was just such a perfect combination for me of all the things that both like drew me to nutrition and drew me to dietetics 
but also that I feel like are my biggest skills. So it was like an opportunity just to like help people to connect to both the science because I'm such a like science geek and I adore understanding like how our body works and how physiology works and understanding all those pieces. But then what I think is like one of my bigger skills is that relationship building opportunity. So eating disorders is really both, you know, like I get an opportunity to work with clients on the science, like understanding how their body works, but also building these really incredible relationships to help my clients and my patients trust me to do this really difficult work. And what I'm so excited about in regards to having you here is that you're so good at working with people who are struggling in the worst way possible with body image and with their relationship with food, you've seen it all. I mean, you've heard it all, you've seen it all, and you have the most incredible tools to help women through this. But the reality is that so many women, I don't know if, do you know like what percentage of women are struggling with their relationship with food these days? No, I mean, it would, it would be so hard to capture. Like we do have statistics around like how many People have been diagnosed in, you know, the year with an eating disorder. And certainly, like, as we're becoming more aware of some of the things to look for within both women and men and some of the, like, less typical presentations, but people accessing more resources, those numbers are going up. But if we were talking about people who are experiencing disordered relationship with food or their bodies, like, I couldn't even venture to guess because, unfortunately, it is so pervasive in our culture and in our communities that you know, I would venture to guess like many, many, if not most people struggle with their relationship with food and their bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think that there's very few people now who are intuitively connected to their body and don't use food in an emotional capacity. I mean, that's partly like we live in a society where you're going to eat in emotional times, whether that's like a birthday party or, you know, to make yourself feel better in moments. But I think that there's just so many people who are struggling with their relationship with their body and their relationship with food, and they don't even know where to begin on getting things to a place that feels a little bit better. When we talk about diets, why do we diet even though the stats show us that it doesn't really work? Well, I mean, I think it's complicated. And, you know, one of the big things that I always try to do with my clients is like validate the experience that they have. You know, we do live in a world that values the thin ideal. You know, we pathologize our choices around food in our bodies. We create these sort of ideas and it's not necessarily a conscious choice, but there are these subconscious ideals in society that certain bodies have more success and like not just physically or health wise, but have more success maybe romantically or career wise, or just are more accepted in society. And that's definitely mirrored throughout like interactions that people start from like, even just as young as like, you know, their first interactions with peers, kids start to notice other bodies and how other bodies are treated and the messaging and the, you know, what we're learning about how other bodies interact in time. So if we're like thinking about, you know, it's not just about what I look like in an outfit or how I feel on vacation in February. It's also about the fact that like certain bodies appear to have more successes and more opportunities, then of course, people are drawn to wanting to create that certain type of body to achieve all their different goals. So I think like Mm -hmm. the first thing is like just validating that, you know, that We do live in a world where unfortunately those things are represented or reinforced. And so dieting becomes about so much more than just 
what we eat and what size clothing we end up wearing or how we look in certain photos, it becomes more about like, how do we achieve the goals we want in our life? So of course, we're drawn to a set of rules that promises, you know, that if you follow these steps, you're going to achieve all of these things that maybe you feel are lacking in your life or wanting to improve in your life. Mm, It's so complicated. And as you said, these patterns and beliefs become imprinted within us at such a young age based on the society that we live in, the home that we grew up in, the experiences that we had. It's so, it's so complicated. What would you say a healthy relationship with food looks like? How does that operate? Yeah, I think, you know, starting to appreciate that, like you said, our relationship with food and our body is so complex. So if it were as simple as just like macros breakdown or calories in, calories out, like diet industry wants us to believe, then we'd have a formula and we'd figure it out and we'd kind of like assign people to their little targets. And, you know, maybe we'd just create like shakes and pills that can kind of like check those boxes and we'd all move on. But the reality is that we relate to food in such a different way. Like we're not just about the physiological you know, necessity of our bodies. We connect to food in a pleasurable way. We connect to it in a celebratory way. We connect it to it in an emotional way. We have such a relationship with how we derive pleasure through food, how we, you know, soothe through food, things we've learned like nostalgia, our own cultures, our own family of origin, like all of those pieces interact to develop our own unique relationship with food. And so if we just try to like, you know, say, pick one factor within this huge context of what means health. And so maybe we're talking about a weight number or a blood sugar level or, you know, some diagnostic criteria, then we're really oversimplifying something that is just so much more than that. And then it invalidates people's experience. So you know, that kind of Mm. thought of like, well, why can't I follow this diet? Why do I fail? Why do I lose control? Well, it's not you. There's not something wrong with you. It's that we're trying to oversimplify something that is so complicated and uniquely individual. So when I start to work with people about like, what is a healthy relationship with food? It's, it's about first of all, appreciating that it's complicated, but second of all, bringing into the equation that There's so many reasons why we eat that if we just focus on one pillar, like we just focus on, say, reducing our carbohydrates, for example, then we're just we're missing the big picture. And that's why things just aren't sustainable. So when I look at health, I, of course, look at physiological and like relationship to our internal cues of hunger and fullness. But that is only one pillar. You know, we need to look at all of the different reasons why we incorporate foods, how it adds to our quality of life how it adds to our connection to that human experience of emotion and our lived experiences. And then we can start to, you know, understand and and appreciate how this picture of health can expand from just being about a number on a scale or a size on clothing or some blood parameter that might not even be within our control. Mm, Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense that with such a diverse, complicated topic that focusing on one thing, like you said, the carbs or the calories or whatever it is, that it's oversimplifying it and that we're sort of setting ourselves up to quote unquote fail. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code rawbeautytalks at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code rawbeautytalks. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. I'm going to push pause for a second to remind you that if this information is resonating with you, I am a health and wellness coach who is trained to help you create healthy habits that stick that are going to support you in living your best life. I work with you to help you get crystal clear on where you want to go. And then with a whole lot of love and of course, a little ass kicking, I'm going to help you get out of your own way so that you can get there. I'll help you overcome limiting beliefs, build healthy habits, and I'll give you the tools to ensure you have an amazing relationship with food and your body. No more dieting, way less self-criticism, no more brain space wasted on what you ate or what you're going to eat or how that cellulite might look on your next vacation. 2020 is your year and if you're feeling like it's already slipping through your hands click the link in the show notes right now to apply for coaching with me i can't wait to meet you let's get back to ali so then for the individual who's looking ahead and thinking 2020 i want to feel better in my body i want to feel like i have more control over my food or i want to have a better relationship with food where do you begin in untangling this complicated situation that we're in so when we're talking about you know looking at so many other factors around health people can sometimes get a little bit frustrated they're like sure that sounds great And I don't feel like I have a healthy relationship with food. You know, you're telling me just to accept how I am, and that doesn't really fit for me. And I definitely don't want to reinforce that idea. But I think what's more important is looking at behaviors instead of one metric or one outcome. Because the reality Mm. is, is there's a lot about weight 
that actually is not within our control. There's a lot about our genetic composition that might mean that certain blood parameters are not within our control. There are certain disease types that we're predisposed to, whether that's culturally or genetically, and that's not in our control. So when we focus on those metrics, we're, we're setting ourselves up to be disappointed. Whereas when we focus on behaviors, so understanding what the behaviors are that don't feel good for me, that's when we can actually start to have interventions, especially when we can remove ourselves from the outcome. So when we're not, you know, handcuffed to some outcome that has to be achieved before I can feel success or feel like I'm making improvements, when we can just release that outcome focus and instead turn our like focus onto the intervention or the behavior, we have an opportunity to just like open our minds and like expand this connection to our health and our bodies and do something that's actually sustainable. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Like that's kind of where I would start understanding what are some of the behaviors that don't feel good for you? You know, when we're saying, you know, my relationship with food doesn't feel good for me. Well, what about it doesn't feel good? And then starting to pull at that, like, let's look at the behavior. Let's make some changes that are going to feel like you can start today and you can check that off as an outcome because we can't control for things like weight that are just, there's so many complicated factors that can contribute, but we can start to, you know, control the fact that we know that when we go all day without eating and then we like, you know, crack into that box of crackers while we're trying to make dinner, that doesn't feel good. Okay. We can right away zoom into an intervention around that. That's a behavior. Mm. What are some of the common behaviors that you see with your own clients or just in our world in general that are things that women commonly want to work on? So my biggest thing that I feel where we've gotten really off track, and there's lots of different diets that we can also, you know, give thanks to for this misinformation, but is around like the timing with which we nourish our bodies. So when I'm helping people to reconnect to their physical body, I use analogies a lot, which I think you know from some of our other conversations, but (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yes, me too. One of the analogies that I love the most is thinking about our fuel gauge or our gas gauge in our car. So if I'm driving and I'm always kind of checking how much gas I have in my car, I have a pretty good sense of like in my own individual car, how far my gas tank will take me. When people are relearning their connection to their body, I use the analogy that their gas gauge is broken. So they're not able to see it. So when they're driving their car, they really have no sense of how full their gas tank is. So Mm. if that were me, if I was driving my car and my gas gauge is broken, I know that doesn't mean that I don't need gas. Like I have not all of a sudden found myself in a Tesla. Unfortunately, I drive (laughs) an old little Toyota Yaris. So he's very far, very cute, but very far from being a Tesla. So I know my car needs gas. I just don't know how much gas is in my car and I don't know how far it's going to take me. I'm feeling anxious. That's going to be very overwhelming for me. So when we're Mm. thinking about our physical bodies, we're disconnected to our ability to interpret that internal cue that tells us how much fuel we have and how much fuel we need. So if I'm going back to that analogy and thinking about like me driving this car, I can tell you that until I get my gas gauge fixed, I am going to be much more conservative about filling up my car with gas. I'm definitely not going to push it the same way I would when I can have like a really accurate read on where my fuel gauge is. Mm -hmm. When I can accurately see that I have only a third of a tank of gas left, 
I know, like I could go, you know, around the city. I probably wouldn't drive that to Kelowna, which is a few hours from where I am, you know, like if I only had a third of a tank of gas. So I, when I can accurately see it, I can interpret it and, and, and make different interventions that are going to be supportive of my car continuing to drive. But when I can't see it, I'm definitely going to be more on edge. I'm going to have less of an accurate interpretation of what my car needs. And the risk of me running out of fuel or ending up in an emergency is quite high. The thing about like our human body is that there are so many factors that can actually disconnect us from our gas gauge. So it's not just about physical sensation or ability to interpret physical cues of hunger. Our connection to our body is greatly impacted by our emotions as well. So being overwhelmed, being stressed out, being anxious, being happy, being distracted, being busy, all of those things cause our gas gauge to break. All of those things disconnect us from our physical ability to interpret where we're at when it comes to fuel. Same as like mm. our physical wellness, right? So like when we're not feeling well or we have a stomach ache or we have indigestion or we have bloating or, you know, intolerances to food, all of those things can actually disconnect us again from our ability to read where our internal fuel tank is, where our internal gas gauge is. So when we aren't able to read our gas gauge, we cannot tell if we are hungry, if we need nourishment, if we're waiting too long to eat, if we're overeating, and then that results in this outcome that feels very out of our control and potentially behaviors like eating way too much or um, just feeling kind of crappy in our body. Is that sort of the idea? Absolutely. Basically, I think of it as like a bow and arrow or a slingshot. Like the further we pull hunger in one direction, at some point it's going to release. And when it releases, it's not going to be just like, yeah, I haven't eaten all day, but I'll have this like half cup of brown rice and <laughs> half a cup of sweet potato. And no. you know, like my body is going to be like fast and furious with the same intensity that I've pulled my bow one direction my arrow is going to fly the other direction towards fullness. And often that means overfullness. Often that means eating quickly and within an amount that maybe wasn't in line with our necessity in that moment, but is making up for lost time. Mm. So similarly, if I am in touch with my gas gauge, all of a sudden I do see that my gas light has come on and I don't know when the next gas station is. You better believe that if I make it to a gas station, I am going to fill all the way up. <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to make that mistake again, you know? So our body responds similarly. We go this long stretch of time without eating. Then when faced with the nutrition that fuels our body, our body's going to overcorrect plus some because it's the number one priority of our body is survival. The number one priority of our body isn't like losing a few pounds or fitting into a certain outfit or, you know, any of those factors, the priority of our physical body is number one fuel for survival. So our body's going to override any quote unquote willpower, right? And it's going to get the nutrients it needs. Mm, so I love this analogy so much. What are some signs that you might have a broken quote unquote gas gauge? Like who are we talking to? <laughs> So I'm talking to, I would say, most people because <laughs> yeah. all of us, if not everyone, have times when we're not connected to our bodies, right? So this is something I hear all the time. Like my clients, my friends will be like, I just don't get hungry. You know what? I'm not hungry. I don't, I don't have an appetite at breakfast or like I don't get hungry until like mid-afternoon. I would encourage people to like change their language around that kind of in that same vein. Like 
I don't have a connection to my physical cue of hunger. I don't have, you know, the ability to see and interpret my cues of hunger because our body is needing gas all the time. Similarly to if I was driving that car and I'm stressed out or anxious or overwhelmed or busy or like can't stop thinking about all these commitments at work. It doesn't mean that like now that day I get a I get to drive a car that doesn't need gas, <laughs> right? Like my car will always need fuel, whether the driver is happy, sad, stressed, calm, it doesn't matter. Mm. So most of us have times, if not consistent times, where we're disconnected from our physical body. Our body can only do so much on not much. So like if we're going long stretches of time without nutrition, sometimes our body down regulates our ability to like interpret those cues because it's actually saving energy for all of the necessities that our body has, like the necessary processes that it needs to save the fuel for. So sometimes we might not even get a cue, a subtle cue of hunger because our body is just in that like semi starvation mode because of these long stretches of time. Okay. So this all sounds so great, but I feel like it could also be really scary for somebody who is like, okay, well now how do I know when to feed myself? Or what if I'm just hungry all the time? Or I I feel more hungry when I'm anxious or stressed out and I want to eat all the time. So where do I go from here? It just feels so much easier and cleaner and clearer to just get on a diet. (laughs) You know what I mean? Totally. Because we're just so conditioned to not trust our bodies. We're taught in every single place we look, whether that's the gym, magazines, Instagram, maybe our friends, maybe our coworkers, that what our true desires, our interests, or the things that we actually like to eat or things that we enjoy are wrong. (laughs) We just can't trust ourselves. So it is really scary. But, you know, like any relationship that we're trying to repair, I always think like the most important pieces are to be consistent and reliable. And so, you know, the same goes with our relationship with our body. If we have been inconsistent and we have been unreliable or we've been, you know, some days we're following a really restrictive diet and then we quote unquote cheat or we like fall off diet and then all of a sudden we eat in another way and we're just like bouncing back and forth between all of these different places of like, I feel good or I feel bad. You know, we're not reliable. We're not consistent. And it can be really scary to feel like you can't trust your body. I'm definitely here to tell you that our body wants us to be trusting of it and vice versa. It's It can be this beautiful relationship. But the first step is to be consistent. And so with my clients, you know, the first thing we work on is trusting that every two to three hours, when you're in that stage of not being able to see your gas tank, I'm going to ask you to fill up with gas. So be proactive with your fueling. So Similarly to if you were on like a big road trip and, you know, you were driving through a town and you're like, you know, I probably don't need to fill up with gas right now, but I don't know when the next gas station is. I'm going to be proactive. And so with our body, we want to do the same. When we're resetting this connection to trust, we want to be really consistent and proactive in that. So every two to three hours trying to have something to eat can help our body to start to relax. It doesn't feel like it needs to give us these really intense cues of hunger because it doesn't know when the next meal or snack is going to be or give us these really intense cravings for certain like foods that are dense in one type of nutrient but maybe don't make us feel the best after we eat them because our body is going to start to trust us. Mm. But it takes a little bit of time to, you know, hit that reset button. So that's where like that analogy can be helpful where we just go back to that idea of I can't see my gas tank right now, so I'm going to be a bit more conservative about how frequently I'm filling up, knowing that at some point 
I'm going to be able to see where my gas tank is and I'll have more of appreciation for when I need to fill up. But right now, my connection to interpreting those cues is broken or is a little bit faulty. And so I'm just going to be a little bit more conservative, trusting that my body knows what to do with nutrition. It's not trying to trick me. It's not trying to punish me. There's not going to be any sort of like punitive effect of eating a little bit more regularly and consistently. It's just going to help my body to start to calm down a little bit because right now it's in such a stress state because it doesn't know where the gas gauge is, right? Like it's same as if we were driving. Mm, Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So somebody is listening right now and they're like, this sounds great and I want to do this, but where will my weight land? Because if I do Whole30 or if I do XYZ, a lot of people are guaranteeing that my weight's going to drop 15 pounds and I think that's where I need to be heading. So with this form of eating, like, how do we relate that back to weight and this piece that I know people who are listening right now are thinking about, are considering they're not feeling good in their body and losing the weight feels like it's the answer right now in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it makes sense people feel that way. And what I'll tell you is that you might or you may or you probably will lose weight on any of those diets short term. The reason that we don't have any evidence or any metrics on any of the diets and why new ones jump back in because there's such a lucrative market for them is that no one diet has any evidence, any empirical information to be sustainable. Mm. What we do know about dieting and diets is that, you know, 95% of people fail, quote unquote, on a diet, regain that weight if not more, because their body goes from well-nourished to semi-starved to in stress and then quickly tries to overcorrect to go back to a place where it has a little bit of a buffer. When we take weight out of the equation, which is so hard to do and focus on behaviors, we may find that our weight changes. Like our weight may come down, our weight may stay the same, but our connection to our body is going to start to improve. And as a result, over time, our body is going to settle where it's intended to be. It's just not going to happen in a crash way because that is not advantageous to our physical body at all, which is why it gives you stronger and stronger and stronger urges to break diet so that you can kind of get those nutrition needs met and that your body can get back to a relaxed place. Yes. I mean, I remember in my 20s when I was technically through my the, the most acute stage of my eating disorder, but I was still in this diet mentality of restriction and then binging. And as a result, my weight was creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. So everyone felt like, you know, she's healthy enough right? She's not where she was before. Mm. But the mindset was still so broken around it. And I just remember feeling so frustrated being caught in that loop of restriction and then binging or completely falling off of it or attempting the self-love thing for a minute. And then, nope, that feels way too out of control. Got to go back to the diet. And it just never works. And it never works for most people. And it's so disheartening and you lose so much confidence in yourself and you just feel so frustrated and hopeless at the end of this cycle. And it perpetuates itself because you feel that lack of confidence. You feel so out of control. And so 
in order to try and get that back, you search for the next diet or the next way to get yourself under control. And it is this loop and pattern that carries on and on and on. So this is why I wanted to have Ali on the show today, because there's a different way to do this. There's a different way. And it works. It works is the thing. And I'm like living proof of the fact that it works and that it feels so much better and that your body will find a healthy, happy place to kind of settle into that feels really good where you don't have to try so hard all the time. And in doing that, you free up so much space in your life to get on to do the things that you're really meant to do here. Because let me tell you, you are not meant to be one specific size or a specific weight or to fit into a specific pair of jeans. You are here for much, much more than that. So, Allie, (laughs) now (laughs) we've talked about the gas gauge and about keeping this fuel tank full if the gas cage is broken. Are there any other technical steps or things that people can work on or start implementing in their life instead of the diet? So this is like the part where I can just probably hear people screaming at their phones or whatever they're listening to us on being like, sure, sure. But this doesn't work for me. Most people feel like, you know, there has to be a diet that works. And when we're thinking about like what works, we also want to look at like, what are we wanting long-term? Like the things you're describing here and like, there's so much more that you are feeling like you're connected to in your life when that was no longer the focus. Mm -hmm. And we're not suggesting that it's easy. Like we understand we live in a world where so many people assume you can look at someone and have any sense of like what's going on for them with respect to health or their bodies or the way they nourish themselves. So we are both well aware of the stigma and the pressures that are put on people. But when diets fail, when you diet, when you fail, you are not the exception, you are the rule. We are not intended to live this restricted lifestyle with food. We can trust our bodies. So like we were saying, like the first step really is starting to do the work on trying to connect to those internal cues of hunger and fullness appreciating that there are going to be times when you are feeling so in the zone with your physical body. You're like, I have this nailed. And then 24 hours later, you feel no connection to your physical body and you feel frustrated. Like, you know, giving yourself permission to not have to do this process perfectly. There is no such thing. The other piece is really recognizing, you know, the internal labels or the emotional labels that we start to identify with nutrition and with food. We're taught from such an early age. Like I was just talking to a client about how when I was in like grade one or two, there was this poster on the wall and it was like the good, the bad, the ugly or something or the good and the bad. And it was like a monster. And underneath the monster was like pop and pizza and like (laughs) chips and things. And then underneath the good side was like this cute little broccoli with like cute face on it. And like so early, like cartoons are telling me like, these are good foods. I should feel pride and I should feel good and I'm well-powered and I'm restrained and I'm all of these positive things if I eat these foods. But if I eat these other foods, I need to feel shame or guilt or that I need to compensate. And so we really want to start to identify what our emotional connections to food are and start to give ourselves permission without rules, without any sort of rule book at all to eat and include all foods. When there's forbidden foods, they, they taste sweeter. Uh You know, I always joke to my clients. It's like me dating, you know, it's like, I always want what I can't have (laughs) Like our connection to food. It's like, we want these things that, 
you know, are forbidden. And then we prevent ourselves from having them. So they just like build more and more and more power. And then when we break and we eat them and, you know, we instantly feel terrible, we think we'll never do it again. And then we kind of repeat that cycle. And it's the same with being on a diet. Like we're told not to eat certain foods, even if they weren't foods that we ever eat normally, you know, but because we've all of a sudden been told we can't have them, then they spark in our minds, you know? And so the rules are meant to be broken. Our human psychology kicks in. All of a sudden we've broken diet, we feel terrible, and then we repeat the cycle all over again. Mm -hmm. So in on top of like starting to like give ourselves permission to reconnect to our physical cues, we also need to give ourselves permission to connect to those emotional reasons why we eat. Give ourselves permission to have nostalgia around food, that we don't need to earn it, that it doesn't need to be on a special occasion and never again, that when we want to eat something, we need to eat something. When we're connected to our internal cues of hunger, we're able to, you know, not let ourselves get too hungry. So then as a result, when we do eat those foods, we eat them in a way that's like connecting and enjoyable. It's not ravenous and out of control because we've haven't fasted all day, you know, but when we give ourselves that permission in conjunction with also supporting our physical body, we're able to have this really happy relationship with food without rules, without governing principles, and just feel really natural in our way that we actually like understand our cravings or understand why we turn to certain foods. And it might also mean that sometimes we decide, you know what, I know that I just want to eat that because I am having a really terrible day. And today it's actually not going to make me feel better. That doesn't mean that I can't eat that food. Mm -hmm. I love that food. But today the thing that's going to make me feel better is, you know, to get on the phone with my mom and have a good cry or to get outside and move my body because it's a beautiful day. And so it's not saying I'm never going to eat those foods or I'm always going to eat those foods. It's coming somewhere in the middle. And that's how we want to be with our internal cues of hunger, not letting ourselves get too hungry because as a result, we'll get way too full. Like being in this like really beautiful gray zone of like appropriate hunger, appropriate fullness, choosing foods for emotion sometimes, choosing them for nostalgia another time, choosing them because they taste good and cookies are fresh out of the oven but also choosing something because it tastes really like fresh and crunchy, like a nice, fresh, crisp apple. Mm -hmm. And like giving ourselves permission actually decreases the power of food and helps us to open up our relationship with why we connect to food in such a more complex way than these animal studies that all of these diets are based off of. Mm, I'm hearing so much about fluidity versus rigidity. No hard rules, just kind of relaxing into things a little bit. And it just sounds so much more comfortable. I know it's easier said than done. A couple of things to recap that you mentioned is eating consistently. So every two to three hours, really checking in to notice if there's any emotional drivers that are there when you're eating and that it's okay if you are emotionally deciding to eat some food in a moment, that's actually all right. When it comes to the fuel that we're putting in the gas tank, are there any recommendations that you have as to what we want to be putting in the tank those two to three hours to kind of support us in feeling our best? Or is that so individual and people just need to figure it out for themselves and their body? Yeah. I mean, of course, all of our relationships with food are going to be individual, but there are some sort of like golden rules that I kind of follow and that I encourage my clients, especially while we're reconnecting to our cues of hunger. So when we feel hungry, we feel a decrease in our blood sugar levels and the absence of food in our system. 
So when we feel full, what we ideally need to happen is an increase in our blood sugar levels and the presence of food in our system. Mm. So the presence of food in our system is going to happen if we eat something food-wise, so not drinks, but if we eat every two to three hours, we're going to check off that presence of food in our system. When we are making choices to eat, we want to try to also choose things that are going to increase our blood sugar and then sustain them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always kind of say to my clients, like, I'm Canadian, so I go by Canada's food guide, but certainly this applies to the American food pyramid as well. But trying to have, you know, foods from fruits and vegetables, foods from grains and starches, and foods from proteins at every meal. So at least those three food groups, if not adding in a nice dairy alternative or dairy at any chance they get. And then at snacks, trying to just have two food groups, like looking at maybe something that provides you with a little protein or a nice heart-healthy fat plus a carbohydrate. So whether that's something like fruit and yogurt or a piece of avocado toast or, you know, crackers and hummus or an apple and peanut butter, like those kind of like paired snacks. The carbohydrate will increase your blood sugar. The protein will sustain your blood sugar or the fat will sustain your blood sugar. And then, you know, because you're eating your snack, you're going to have the presence of food in your system. But there's exceptions to every rule and we don't need to necessarily have like, I don't need to tell you the portions and I don't need to tell you the exact amount, Mm -hmm. but just starting to trust that all of the food groups have a need in our body, trusting that our body knows what to do with nutrition and focusing on that timing. The more we can use that timing to our advantage, the more we're going to have a choice in what we have to eat. Like you were saying about the like, you can choose to have emotional foods or foods that satisfy you emotionally, but you want to make sure you're choosing. And if you're going long stretches of time or not getting your nutrient needs met, mainly through carbohydrate, then you're not making the choice. The choice has been made for you by your body's need to survive. Mm. We're covering so much great information here. So I am going to provide a free PDF handout in the show notes that you can click on just to get a summary of some of these points to help provide some guidance. I know some people are visual learners, so we'll make sure that you have that in the show notes. Allie, what are some of the hottest, (laughs) quote unquote, hottest um, (laughs) diets that you're seeing out there right now. And I would love to hear like any thoughts that you have on them from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, the thing about diets that are so funny is that like the newest fad diet is the opposite of what the last fad diet was. So it's like, you know, whole 30. So whole foods, right. Or paleo. So we're allowed to eat these foods, but we're not allowed to eat these. Oh, no, wait, just kidding. It's keto. No, now it's intermittent fasting. Like we can be eating anything as long as it's in this fed state. And like, you know, all of these diets, the way that they hook you is because the reason you failed on the last diet was because you missed carbohydrates. So now on intermittent fasting, you get to have carbohydrate, but only within eight hours. And then, you know, Mm. on the next one, it's going to be that you can't have carbohydrate. You can only have protein. Like it's just like they kind of like feed off of one another. I love hearing about the newest fad diets because I love to go to the science and just like research them. And, you know, I like, you know, I also co-host a podcast and we just go through the different diets and we kind of like give the science, give the information and then hope people can make their own choices. I mean, I definitely don't ever want to invalidate someone's urge to go on a diet. It makes sense. Short term, they might have results but they fail and that makes people feel terrible. And so we go through kind of the information so people at least have it when they're making those decisions. But at the end of the day, the reason this is such a lucrative, if not the most lucrative industry is because diets fail. And the next one is inevitably around the corner to try and make make Mm -hmm. money off of you and the misbeliefs we hold in society. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I could go into all the diets. They like, they drive me crazy, but they also give me great entertainment. (laughs) Go to the podcast. It's let us eat cake. Yeah. Let us eat cake. Yes. Go listen to us. We have all the different diets. We're always down to break those down, break down the diet myths. You girls do such a good job of it. I mean, we would have to have a whole nother podcast episode to get into every single one. So instead, just head on over there. Of course, we'll obviously leave the link in the show notes for you. As Ali mentioned, of course, this is such a journey and there are so many pieces that come into play. It's not just as simple. We totally understand as thinking like, okay, I'm ditching the diet mindset for good, but there always has to be a starting point. And I feel like understanding some of these things about diets and why they don't work and then understanding that there is an alternative way of being and showing up that feels really good in your body is a really powerful starting point for sure. Ali, thank you so much for joining us today. If I had to ask you, this is always a really hard question for people, but what is your message to women of the world? My message is that you can trust your body. It's the only relationship we're guaranteed to have for the entirety of our lifespan is the relationship with our own unique, beautiful, wonderful body. And so like the more we can do to fuse a trusting relationship with our body, the better, you know, resisting our bodies is just going to cause us pain and suffering. So your body knows what to do with nutrition. You can trust your body. Our relationship with food does not have to be painstaking. And then we can start this wonderful place of, of freedom and moving away from the diet culture world that's, you know, just toxic and poisoning us all. Mm, thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you further? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, definitely go check out our podcast, myself and another dietitian. It's called Let Us Eat Cake. We're available on all podcast mediums. So go and check us out. We're also on Instagram at Eat Cake Pod. I have recently entered the world of Instagram as a professional, not in my personal. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you can follow me at Allie, the dietitian, and that's dietitian, T-I-A-N. So we're, we're Canadian. The American dietitian is spelled different, but I know you'll tag it. We will. Yeah. And through my Instagram, they can find my website as well to contact me. I do see clients privately. And then of course, you know, they can contact my podcast as well if they want to ask different questions about diet culture. That's my passion is to break that apart. Yes. If you found any of this episode helpful, take a screenshot, share it on social, tag Allie and at Raw Beauty Talks. We'll be regramming your posts. We both also love DMs. Let us know what resonated with you, what you have questions about. We're totally here and available for you. Remember, as you listen to these episodes, that your body and your life is different than anybody else's. So really tune in to feel and understand what resonates the most for you. As always, I love having you here. I can't wait to see you again next week. Same time. Have a great one. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com listen or on your favorite podcast platform.